0: You are listening to the Content Academy podcast, where we teach online businesses how to create raving fans with their content. So let's get to it. Yes, hello, and you're very welcome to the Content Academy podcast. He is Paul Caffrey. I'm Phil McGrath. What up with it, man? I'm good. I'm good. Um, See, I said to mix it up there. I always introduce myself first. You know, let's mix it up a
1: little because I'm feeling wild. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's keep going with that now. You know, uh, what's the most wild thing you did today? Ooh, I think I had a fruit salad for breakfast. Fruit salad for breakfast.
0: That's how wild I was today.
1: Do you want to know what I had for breakfast? Go on. I had a mozzarella panini wrap with chicken at about half six this morning and it was awesome <laughs> that's pretty unusual for you and for yeah. you know i was watching the football last night and um yeah feeling the worst for wear this morning so that, a, that'll do not, for you all right that kick-started my day
0: excellent breakfast of champions i believe they call it yeah that and about
1: uh, three Americanos so awesome <laughs>
0: um, very good well on today's show folks uh, aside from mine and Paul's breakfast habits uh, we have Rosella La Fever on the show uh, Rosella is a marketing consultant Um, but more importantly her aspect of thought leadership is what we speak to her about today and how she helps her clients get featured on some big-name publications like the Huffington Post, Entrepreneur.com to name but a few and we really dig into how she gets her clients published, what the thought process behind it is, not only how but also the why you want to be published um, in these publications and how to come up with the right content. Obviously you know you're pitching an editor of these magazines um with your content that do you want them to publish for you. So you've got to come up with the right content that's going to peak an interest and we kind of go into all of that. And uh
1: what else am I missing, Paul? Well I think the the biggest thing you're missing is that um she maps out the steps it takes for you to actually get featured in these play in the Huffington Post or other other various uh, publications online um and what that means is at the end of this show you can actually have an action plan as to how to go about getting on to them uh, and also she mentions the fact that uh you can actually stay a contributor for uh life
0: once you're in you're in mm. that's pretty much it but yeah loads of actionable steps in this one and genuinely as paul says by the end of this you can start going away and pitching these editor-in-chiefs to get your stuff published in some big name uh, sites and magazines so with that said let's hand it
1: over to rosella and we'll chat to you at the end of the show hey guys as we said we have rosella Lafever with us here on the line rosella how are you
2: i'm great thanks for having me guys i'm so excited
1: Oh, no worries. Thank you very much for for coming on the podcast. Um, I mean, as I suppose, as we discussed in the intro, there's uh, a lot of things that that you specialise in, being a marketing consultant, obviously you're working uh, with the the Huffington Post. Um, But I figured um, we might just kick things off and focus uh, on on your main area of expertise, which is thought leadership. So perhaps um, you could maybe tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, how you got started, and then maybe dig into explaining thought leadership.
2: Great. Okay, so uh, I consider myself to be an accidental entrepreneur. I grew up the daughter of a man who runs his own business. He builds transformers for high-end music systems, which is something that is so niche and it's really hands-on, like he's actually building products. Um, And so I grew up feeling like I never want to run my own business, but then I went to school and our university, as you would call it, and I studied journalism. And so I was in school and I was freelancing and then I came out of school and I was still trying to freelance and that, that was my goal. I wanted to be in control of my time. So I wanted to freelance, but I was so naive. I didn't realize that that meant I would be running a business. And it was kind of a rude awakening <laughs> oh, i can
1: imagine
2: <laughs> yeah um like there's still one publication that owes me money uh it was not it, and and journalism to be a freelance journalist you really aren't so much and and i don't really see where you can be in control of like how much money you make and and that aside from just taking on like tons of assignments uh because most Publications have their own, their budget set and, you know, you, you got to work within that. Um, so I came out of school. I was still trying to freelance and I actually ended up taking a job at a PR agency part time uh, to pay bills. And while I was there, I started seeing that my skills as a journalist really set me up very well to help people achieve media relations and you know get published in in magazines and newspapers and get on TV and stuff so i uh ended up leaving that agency it just wasn't a good fit culturally for me um and i left and i decided that i was going to serve my own clients and and start using my journalism skills in different ways so i also had ex- um experience with social media partly just because of my age i mean i'm 24 so while some consider my use to be a problem, <laughs> I consider it an asset. Yeah,
1: and, brilliant.
2: <laughs> yeah. um, and so I, I started using my experience with that. And, and I had also, while I was in college, I had started an online magazine called MLTS, which stands for most likely to succeed. And so I had gotten used to using social media for that. So all of this experience, I started using it in new ways that I had never thought I'd use it, and started serving my own clients. So uh, my business has shifted a bit in the last two years, and I have two focuses now. So marketing strategy, I help clients with you know, their marketing strategy, figuring out the best ways for them to grow their business in ways that they're comfortable yeah. with and will get them results. And then the other thing is the thought leadership. So. Sorry, this is a long-winded way of getting to thought leadership. But uh, thought leadership is just what I call um, something that other other PR people call like contributed articles and stuff. I focus on using your writing to convey your expertise so that you can become known as a thought leader. And so I have helped clients by ghostwriting articles for them. They share with me their expertise either in interview form or they'll write an outline themselves of an article and I'll go and I'll like write it for them. And I often the other thing that I really am very good at um, with those clients is actually coming up with the topics. So we can turn something that may be a little boring into something that's really fun to read um, and a little maybe surprising or controversial. So excellent. I help clients that way. And I also do teach workshops. So if you are confident in your writing ability um, or fairly confident, like we could work together and just get you set up to write your first piece. And then I and then there's like, you know, worksheets and stuff. So you can make this a repeatable process.
1: Oh, excellent. Um, I mean, there's a lot of stuff there to dig down into. Um, I suppose that, I mean, the first thing is you know using your writing to be a, a thought leader um so I, I do i do like that approach because obviously you know being a subject matter expert thought leader um a number of other terms it's it all comes down to getting your message uh, across uh, in an authoritative way which helps people um let's say you're sitting down to to actually you know write a write an article ghost write an article for somebody you know um what's your process for writing Rosella?
2: Uh, I, it's going to take me a minute to even think how to answer that because it's so just natural for me. Um, if they, if they don't give me an outline, I guess it's a little bit different. So I would, I, we would come up with the topic together probably, um, unless they have something they really want to do. It, it often ends up being in a client relationship for me where we run through the few ideas they have in the beginning. And then after that, they're like, okay, well, what do you have? So then I, I come up with the topics mostly from there on out. Um, So I mean, sorry to,
0: sorry to cut across you. So I mean, if you were to take even that section there, so say you have a client that's come to you and they have some ideas and maybe we're not too overly enamored with those. How do you go about then digging a little deeper to get something that you can work with?
2: Sure. That's a great, uh, question. So, uh, one example I love to go back to is this client, Steve. He's an intellectual property lawyer from Arizona. So he uh, saw that I wrote for Huffington Post and reached out to me, and we started working together. And we got him published in Huffington Post and Entrepreneur and some other places. And so we had gone through a few article topics before we got to this point where we were having conversations about marijuana because in Arizona, obviously, in America, that's a hot topic. They, ha- Their marijuana sales are legal, so, uh, and they're not in most of the rest of the country. So I don't remember exactly how we got on to him sharing with me that in American trademark law, there's a rule for trademarking the name of a business wherein you can't really trademark a business name that contains a keyword that refers directly to the service or or product sold. So any marijuana business that has the name like marijuana or weed in it is basically untrademarkable. So we had had this little conversation somehow about this and I ended up thinking to myself that it was such a great topic if we framed it the right way. And so we framed it as the little known consequence of selling marijuana. And it works because people are obviously, if if it's illegal in most states, people are going to think that there are probably tons of consequences to marijuana. And they probably feel like they know all of them, you know, like you might get arrested or whatever. Yeah. Um, but so what is the little known consequence that, you know, it, it should cause the reader, and I think it does cause the reader to wonder what that little known consequence is. And then it's, a really interesting way of introducing trademark law. So I mean
0: obviously you have you've, you've spoke with Steve and you've, you've kind of figured that bit out um, and you know where you're going. Do you obviously then get Steve to give you an outline as you said earlier and then you'll kind of buff it up a bit or how do you generally go about doing that with your clients?
2: Yeah so uh, with him we often used outlines mostly just so he would give me the all of the finer points of the legal stuff that we had to talk about because obviously there he's way more of an expert than me and i'm not going to be able to figure it out on my own Mm. he'll have to tell me so he would give me the outline of the finer legal points and um maybe have some you know main points or or sub points to talk about in his outline and then i would take that and uh start probably with the introduction i mean that's I like to start with the introduction because I know how I'm capturing the reader and from there, the rest of it just kind of flows. But I am very focused on creating content for these publications where th- it follows a very similar structure. So whether it's a numbered list or, or it's just like subheads, I love to have subheads to break up the content. You don't yeah. want to have so much of that traditional essay structure where they're like really long paragraphs. You know, I, when I was in grade school, the rule of thumb was a paragraph was three to five sentences. And I love to tell people to break that rule. Like, you know, that throw in a one sentence paragraph if it's something that really you really want to get across, you know. So and headlines help. I mean, as a reader myself, I don't like to read things that are just like big chunks of text. If you have subpoints, so I can skim it first and know roughly what you're talking about before i actually dive into it that makes me happy as a reader so that's the way that i like to write for my clients too
0: okay i see so i mean we'll continue with steve obviously yeah so i mean steve has given you all these headlines lines and he's kind of refined the uh the legal points for you when it when it comes to this piece of content but i mean in terms of your structure that you've spoke about is there any key things that you feel that um people should be doing that they're not, that's really causing their articles to suffer?
2: Well, I don't know if it gets to structure, but I, I think people hear thought leadership and, and think that to get clients to their business by contributing articles to these sites that they have to actually talk about their business in the article. And so that's a big thing I warn against. And I, you know, work to never have happened for my clients and students. It's, not that I want to, you know, I, I contribute to Huffington Post and I'm not going to write a piece that tells you like hire me for for marketing. You know, mm-hmm. the the point is to show by talking to you about either the what, the why or the how of something or maybe some combination thereof um, to show you through that, like what I know and why you should come to me if you want to know more about it, you know
0: yeah no that makes sense absolutely. This article is now kind of pretty much created um and obviously headlines mean a lot to people and you know you've kind of covered that in getting getting pegging people's interest and ensuring that in your your introduction kind of as a hook will get them to continue and obviously we've said we want top heads in there we want to be able to scan that content so now that all of this is done and your editing process is done what do you then do to try and get them submitted into these um other publications like the Huffington Post or entrepreneur how do you go about that
2: wonderful question so It's uh, the first thing I want to say is actually, depending on the publication, if you get in once, you're in for life. So that's awesome. Oh, excellent. So yeah, um, that's the case I know of with Entrepreneur and with Huffington Post and I'm sure with several others. So what you want to do, it depends a little bit on the publication. Huffington Post is actually an anomaly as far as the only person I know of at the publication who reads emails is Ariana Huffington herself, which is pretty unusual. <laughs> which in is insane.
1: Cases.
2: Yeah. <laughs> in most cases you would, I, I would tell you to never pitch the editor in chief. Um, but whoever you're pitching and I can talk in a minute about how to figure out who to pitch, but whoever you're pitching, you want to start by sending them the, an email that's like, Hi, editor, and I love to start with a paragraph that's something like, you know, I read the recent post on blah, 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 and I was really surprised to learn about whatever, or mm-hmm. I was, you know, delighted to, to hear whatever, you know, like, you want to show them that you're, you're reading the publication. Now. Yeah. So if you know, it's a little bit of flattery that gets you everywhere. Um, <laughs> So, you know, you open with that, soften them up a little, and then you say, you know, I I would love to contribute to whatever the publication title is and, and say, you know, so I've come up with this article topic for you. I think your readers would really love it. And this is the headline in the post I would talk about, fill in like the subheads here. Um, And then you basically just ask them, like, can I send you a draft? And in most cases, for your first couple times submitting something, I would suggest you actually have the draft ready. So if if they do, by some miracle, respond to you in two minutes, you you can automatically. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if you've got their attention, you don't want to lose it. So I definitely recommend having the draft ready. And so then you might ask me, well, what happens if they don't respond? and which let's be where, honest is likely <laughs> yes it's likely and it's also where so many people get thrown off and then they never get to contribute somewhere because they don't bother to follow up so i always tell you to follow up uh and so, how do, send we, an sorry, yeah, so how
0: do we yeah you're probably going to tell me this I'm going to ask you how do we how do we send a follow up without being too pushy
2: yeah so uh my recommendation is to follow up like a week later, and say, Hey, I, you know, and hit reply, like so that the original email is in the bottom of your first follow up. But in your first follow up, you would write and say, Hey, I, you know, sent you this or I sent you this pitch, and I really still think that this would be a great fit for your website or your magazine. Um, and just to make it really easy for you to consider, I'm attaching the draft here so you would attach the draft
0: so they're, and, getting, they're getting the draft whether they like it or
1: not yeah <laughs> I love it.
2: and so the reason i would i would say that is you don't want to attach the draft in your first email because some editors are going to be sensitive about receiving attachments from people they don't know right i mean yeah we we're all a little sensitive about that and it might get it easy marked as spam more easily but it also, in that first email, gives you that wonderful call to action for them of, you know, do you want to see a draft? But then in the second email, you're just, like I said, you're making it really easy for them to decide if they want to run it. You know, they can open it right there and read it and get back to you. Um, so that's the, the first follow up is a week later. And then if you still don't hear from the editor, I would follow up one more time. You just turn week. up at a the
0: door to be able to. Uh, uh, uh... A hard copy <laughs> just knocking the door. Here, read it.
2: Yep, yep. <laughs> no. um, So I would send them a third email and I would just say, you know, I'm following up one more time. I sent you the draft last week. Is there any chance that this will work for you? Uh, and then you also want to say it's okay if it doesn't. And if it doesn't, I'm going to follow up with you, you know, in a week with a new article topic and then do that. Send them a totally new topic.
1: Okay, That makes sense. Um, well, when, I suppose you're, you're targeting a publication. So let's say Huffington Post, entrepreneur.com. Um, you know, how big do you make the article? How much detail do you go into on a topic? So I imagine there must be a fine balance between, you know, too much information, but yet, you know, doing, it, doing it a, a topic justice. So what what, what what way do you approach that?
2: So what I would say and I, most of the articles that I write tend to be between 500 and 800 words. They're digestible. I mean, SEO experts go back and forth on what the best length is. So I, yeah, I can't sure. Can, yeah, that, that. kind of that changes depending
0: on what the weather is outside really.
2: Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So I go for like five to 800 words because it makes it, if you write it in that structure, you know, with the subheads, and you really break it out and give it some white space. Um, you know, just having some space around the words, then five to 800 words may even look like a lot, but it'll still be, I think, enough for them to digest a main point. So from there, I would suggest considering like what you know. So your your subject matter um, and looking at it from one of these angles. So I, I mentioned a little bit earlier about the what, the why, and the how. Yeah. So... If you can break your topic down into the what, the why, or the how of something, of it, um, it's a good way to focus on a narrower slice of this whole pie that you know of. So by that, like, it could be um, what's causing your shiny object syndrome. If you're maybe a life or business coach, you might deal with people, clients, who often struggle with shiny object syndrome. So there, you're talking about you know, very simply as the title would suggest, you're talking about what causes it. Um, you might also in that article get a little bit into how to get over it, but that's, you know, that could be a follow-up article. So, or that might be a content upgrade, you know, that might be the, the subject then of the lead magnet that you link to at the bottom. So, uh, that's that's an example of what the how, you know, is starting to get at, how someone might solve the problem that they have uh and how you you know it, it's basically drawing upon how you solve problems for your clients or customers mm. and just translating it into a sampling of a solution that they could start to implement themselves you know
0: yeah you want a kind of short small quick win
2: yeah exactly yeah, yeah, and it's really and- interesting
0: uh, just to, to kind of go back a little bit there you were saying about the, the kind of 500 to 800 words when we started out We used to actually just do 350. That was our minimal workout. Now, sometimes they might rise to five. But again, you're talking about the white space and and, and your subheads and everything else. And you'll be surprised if you can get your layouts correct how well you can make such a minimal word count look and it doesn't look bare it doesn't look like you've literally just kind of spewed some words onto the page because you couldn't have been bothered writing something of any great length if you know what you're trying to cover I and mean, you can do that within that time or within that word count and, and make it readable and digestible but well, then certainly I, I would say to the audience to definitely go ahead and do that but again it's all about doing the topic justice, as Paul was saying. So just bear that in mind while you think that, yeah, okay, well, I'm only gonna do five to eight hundred words from now on for someone listening to this. That's not gonna work for everything you write. So just to have considerations there, but certainly it's amazing how well you can make it look if you space things out properly.
1: Yeah, I, I agree yeah. with that, Phil. Uh, and I think even taking that step further, if you remember back in the days when you were in school or university or whatever. You know, an A4 page only actually had 250 words on it in, you know, average. So you're talking two or three of them. So it is still a decent chunk of content. Um, but I suppose, Rosal, there was one thing you mentioned there a few minutes ago, and it's kind of just, you know, bounced around the back of my mind here. And you said that once you get in, you're always in. So, you know, what, what does that mean?
2: Sure. Uh, so I'll talk about that in one second. I want to address Phil's really awesome point. I mean, I remember from my days as a journalist when a, an editor would assign a piece and tell me I had to hit a certain word count, and I was like 50 words be, like short of it, and I was like, "How am I going to get 50 more words out of this?" So
0: yeah, you know, and make it re- and make it read right.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So definitely, I mean, don't like hold yourself you know, super accountable to my 500 to 800. That's just a suggestion for sure. You can definitely do shorter if you set it up right. And, and as long as you really get the main point across, you know, that's golden. You could, what you could do too, is, uh, have a friend read it. Maybe someone who's not an expert like you are in the topic and be like, you know, what do you get from this? And if they get the point, then you're good. Um,
0: yeah, and we we've spoke to guests before, it's all about connecting the dots with the reader. You have to bear in mind that, you know, you're you're writing this perhaps for people of different levels of knowledge on the topic you're speaking about. So you need to make sure that not only do the beginners get it, but the most advanced don't read it and go, well, yeah, that was boring. You know, you're trying to engage as many levels as you can, but connecting the dots is so important.
2: Yeah, definitely.
0: But it's just um, interesting enough. We we've just finished our thirty day blogging challenge, where myself and Paul undertook to write a blog a day for thirty days. Um, and the minimum word count we said was three hundred and fifty. That was the minimum we had to put out a day. Okay. And I don't think I wrote anything less than a thousand words every day.
2: Wow. Which is really strange.
0: I mean, it's <laughs> no, but the funny point is, I set out with a mindset of going, I only have to write three hundred and fifty words today. And yeah that just that little nugget of going this is all I have to do once I started I was like well no I have to cover this and then this needs to be covered so even if you're if you're kind of one of those people who maybe is struggling to to get the content out there and you're kind of thinking oh god I have to sit and write another article today or whatever it might be having that mindset of it's only just can get you a very very long way
2: yeah definitely um so I think it was Paul asked about what it means to be uh, sort of in for life. Yeah. So again, it depends on the publication, but let's take Huffington Post as an example. I he submitted an article to Ariana herself and got approved to, to contribute and what actually happens is she'll she'll respond and say yes or no or well i guess if if it's a no she probably doesn't respond but if she says <laughs> yes she'll respond and she'll cc some other editor at huffington post which i think they switch around internally a lot because it's never the same person that i see um that's probably <laughs> so. just to keep
0: it fresh i suppose
2: yeah. Uh, so, so like CC, an editor who's supposed to set you up with a blogger account and then I can't remember if the case was that they, um, upload the first one for you or you have to upload it. then once it's approved, I think it's usually the, the former. So they'll like publish your first piece that you've submitted, but then you have this login info for your own blogger account on Huffington post and Basically what that means is like, it's a welcome invitation to contribute. So you can submit blog posts anytime. It usually takes a little bit of time for them to approve it. Like maybe a couple of hours on an, on a weekday, or it might be, you know, a couple of days if you're submitting on the weekend because they approve them during normal business hours, Hmm. but they, uh, they'll approve your post and it'll go up so you can contribute blog posts that are already on your your own website you you know it's not necessarily that becoming a huffington post contributor means a lot of extra work for you it could be the same blog post you're putting on your own website and and that's great because then when you submit the the post that you wrote for your own blog and you submit it to the huffington post for publication you can add to the bottom of the text you know this post originally appeared on like RosellaFever.com, and you can link to your website.
0: Oh, so you're getting a little backlink as well. Yeah. Excellent. I think I they like maybe
2: they may be no follow links. Don't hold right, me to okay. that. But um, but still, I mean, the point is, if someone's reading it and they really like it, they you know they'll go back to your website. Of course,
0: it's a call and... to action for them. It's somewhere you can drive them afterwards.
2: Yeah, and the other the other reason you do that, and and you want to include your bio at the bottom, like put that into the text of the post. You do that because I don't know if this is like actually sanctioned by Huffington Post, but other websites will pick up pieces that you contribute to Huffington Post and they'll run them. And they don't, unless you have your bio in the actual text of the post, they don't net always like say this is my Rosella Fever. Yeah. yeah, so I had one. I learned my lesson because one time this one website republished an article I wrote and there was like no reference to the fact that I wrote it I only knew it was mine because they used the same headline
0: ah I see so be clever about <laughs> be clever about how you label your content and obviously making sure that if it is used somewhere else people are going to know what the original author was of course you yeah so I mean essentially you're able to submit to the Huffington Post whenever you like that's a it's a fantastic tool to have in your toolkit, but let's be realistic about it. How well have you done since submitting to the, the Huffington Post? How much of an impact has that had for you and your business?
2: That's a wonderful question. So I. I haven't seen like a ton of traffic to my website from it. And I see this in Facebook groups. People will comment and say, like, do I really want to write for Huffington Post? I mean, will it really get me traffic and I can tell you from my experience, it won't get you a ton of traffic, but it can bring you the right clients. I mean, I've made thousands of dollars from clients who've found me through there, which to me makes it all worth it, you know, especially since it's as easy as republishing a blog post I already wrote for another place.
0: So it's brand association is really what you're gaining from it.
2: Definitely. And then I've had clients who've, you know, gotten hundreds, maybe even thousands of people to sign up for their email lists because they were contributing there. Uh, My one client, Alexis needs, um, or we work together to get her in there. Uh, we don't work together anymore, but, (laughs) uh, she, so she contributes to Huffington post. Um, well, she's been on maternity leave, so I don't know how often she's done it lately, but she was contributing for a while and she was getting thousands of shares of her posts. And then she was also getting like translated into other languages. So, you know, she's recognized probably worldwide by certain people. You know.
0: Yeah, that's excellent. No, I, I'm just—I was just curious. I mean, I'm—I'm I'm a big yeah. advocate of everything we do must have a reason. Um, mm. And what was the main reason for you? What were you getting from it, and how was it working out? So there you go. You may not get tons of traffic, but certainly the brand association that you get from that can have knock-on effects elsewhere in your business.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's—it's a great thing to have on your website. You know, as seen in Huffington Post you know, go look at Kimber Luna's website. She, you know, it says there as seen in, and there's a bunch of different logos. So I could do the same. And, you know, if I'm promoting a webinar, I can put on there, you know, a scene in Huffington post. And it's just, it just gives me a third party validation. Like, you know, and, and it really does help for people to see me as a thought leader.
0: Absolutely. And oh, Paul, we get this, this is this, we have the same, we are the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, You know, when we started out, we we managed to get in the door of the national radio station here in Ireland. Um, We were approached by them because of our, our football podcast that we were running. Uh, which then became which then became their football podcast and then the broadsheet newspaper came knocking because we were on the national radio broadcaster we must be experts which let's be honest we we were but you know for us to be approached (laughs) by a a newspaper a national broadsheet it wasn't a red top either to say can you come and write for us we're like yeah sure no problem but i guarantee had we not got our foot in the door with the radio station you know we we may well i say guarantee but the chances are we wouldn't have been picked up so quickly
1: well, I mean, look, yeah. let's face it, that's the reason they um, they took us on, on that credibility. You know, then we got that initial foot in the door to have the conversation and then you you get the opportunity to prove yourself once you're, you know, in there. And I suppose it's the same with a webinar. If, you know, as featured on in the Huffington Post or seen on entrepreneur.com, that's what gets somebody to the webinar, you've then got the opportunity to prove yourself on that webinar, which you will ultimately still have to do. Um, to yeah. get more people in the room uh, is certainly a very, very positive thing. Um, there's actually, there's a blog post that you, you released there, uh, a couple of um, recently, Rosella, uh, about Vision Board um is that something which you would you would do um you do a lot or you know what's the thinking behind that blog post
2: oh yeah so that was actually my failed attempt at doing a blog a day (laughs) for 30 days um so i was looking for content to write but i my ideal client is a female entrepreneur who runs a service-based business and wants help with their marketing strategy so I was just thinking that that's something that she is probably has probably thought to do or has done and could relate to. Uh, so, I mean, vision boarding is just something I I really enjoy doing, and it helps me, you know, figure out what my goals are and and go after those goals. So, that's what that was.
1: Yeah, no, that's cool. I mean, and you know, that's something that I am a fan of as well. I think I picked it up from Hal Elrod's Miracle Morning um and then just having a little visualization board and uh, just checking in on it and kind of having the bigger goals there to kind of remind you you know why you're getting up early why you're putting all the hard work and hours in so um it was just something that caught my eye um yeah. so that's cool i like that
0: for our listeners now obviously they're very very intrigued and they're kind of thinking you know what i want to start writing for the Huffington post or entrepreneur or some of the other major publications and we've obviously gone through kind of the process to get you there but in terms of coming up with key content, do you think these publications are going to to really want... Is there a way that you kind of look at what they have and figure where you can vary or how do you advise people on that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, these,
0: these publications are, are have hundreds of people writing and then they're, they're internal writers. So, you know, you can't write something that's already been there, but you just may not have seen it.
2: Yeah, that's a... It's actually, it alludes to a strategy that I do use with clients to come up with topics. So say you want, uh, say you're a travel agent and you want to contribute to Huffington Post travel section. And there's an article there. Um, you're looking through their blog and you, you see one article that's like eight ways to travel as a broke college student. You could take that several directions, right? You Mm. could make it, um, I, and it could be as simple this is this might sound ridiculous but it could be as simple as like five more ways to travel as a broke college student yeah or you might make it you know ten ways to travel as a broke couple or maybe it's even just why you should prioritize travel as a broke college student
0: so do you, and again I, I, I'm, I'm open to, to, to your knowledge on this is that something you would advise people to do is it the case that you should look at what they're publishing and see where you can tie in with something that you know they've already accepted?
2: Yeah. I mean, you, so, okay. Like the eight more ways or the 10 more ways or whatever I said to mm. travel as a real college student, that might be a little bit too similar. If this is your first time contributing, okay. Uh, you know, that might be better once you're like a lifetime contributor to entrepreneur or Huffington post that might be, a great way for you to come up with topics and submit that um but like 10 ways to travel as a pro couple I think it's varied enough from the original but something and it's it's something that people are going to be I think intrigued by so as long as it sort of passes that test of like would someone else want to read this and mm. and they're like feel free to crowdsource it a little bit with some friends you know ask yeah, them yeah would they be interested in that i mean that's a good first step because an editor is gonna think or try to think like a reader and try to think would the reader click on this you know
0: yeah i mean it is interesting even just from that example you've given i'm already thinking that okay well if i read that and i'm not a student i'm kind of going well i want to travel and that's great but i can't do it as a broke student you know i myself my wife we want to travel what do we do so it kind of again kicks that on that not you have to kind of Look at it from great the students got something from that piece now it's going to be couples or married couples or whatever it might be getting something from the next piece so you know it's it's just about varying it. and i really like the way you the way you approach that and it's just i know from our audience the way they're sitting there thinking at the moment is kind of great i want to do this how do i ensure that they accept my article or how can i give myself the best chance of getting my article accepted
2: yeah well so that um that little word choice you or word switch you just made, that's really the key. Like you can't guarantee of course that Mm. an editor is going to go for it. You can only do your best to maximize your chances. So, and I would definitely recommend, I I can't exactly remember the search term you'd want to use, but there's tons of stuff out there about like the best headlines and, and like headline psychology. Mm. So do a little bit of, of a search on that. I mean, I've, I've talked today about, making it intriguing you definitely want to surprise people um there's a there's a theory I, it's actually a practice i guess of writing headlines in a way that makes a promise and utilizes adjectives in a specific way and stuff and um so i mean there's definitely stuff out there Really, if you want the editor to, if you want to have the best chance of the editor approving something, like work on your headline. Of course, they may not stick with your headline and they, you know, they may love your article topic and decide to change the headline. But starting with a really strong headline is a great way to capture their attention.
1: Yeah,
0: absolutely. So one more question for you on this, because I know we're getting tight for time. Sure. In terms of finding the people you want to be contacting within these publications, I know we said kind of Arianna Huffington was a, a bit of an anomaly, but is there a process that you have or a way that you have that our audience could utilize then to start finding people to start contacting?
2: Yeah. So, uh, well, if you guys are up for it, I can send you this little ebook I have called "Secrets to Finding Contactor uh, Editors Contact Info," and absolutely, can, and we'll off, pop that, in the show that notes. to the audience. Yeah, awesome. Well, tell
0: you what, that answers that. What we'll do is we'll make sure we get that from you. And for anyone who wants it, folks, you can get it in today's show notes. And we'll make sure the link is there. Paul, I don't know about you, but I think we've got so much out of that. Were we to go on any further? We might muddy the water. Have you any more questions before we wrap up?
1: Uh, no I just want to say thanks very much Rosella for coming on I mean you've given a ton of value uh, and I can tell everybody has you know the idea alarm bells going off in their brains from listening to this so thank you very much
2: you're very welcome thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to share this I I really love to talk about it so this has been so fun
0: it was great really enjoyable and before we let you go let our audience know if they want to reach out and drop you a tweet or get you on social media where can they do so
2: Uh, so check out the spelling of my name in the in the podcast title but it's just rosella the fever basically everywhere so it's RosellaLefever.com, uh and and i have links to all my social on there so definitely tweet at me i think my email address is definitely on there somewhere like email me anytime i'm so happy to answer questions
0: fantastic again folks we'll make sure all those are in the show notes from today's show rosella it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you really really enjoyed that and thank you very much once again for agreeing to come on
2: yeah, thanks again. Have a great day. You too.
1: Well, that was a very, very uh insightful episode. I now have all the steps uh I need to go and get published in entrepreneur.com, uh Huffington Post, TechCrunch, you know, there's a, a number of other publications I'm interested in and um excellent, excellent, excellent show. Uh so I think a, a key thing there is that um, it is not as difficult as you might have thought uh, to get involved with these these uh, very, very big-time players.
0: No, I mean, certainly it's not easy, but with the right process and the right steps in place, you certainly can achieve it, as we spoke about on the show. And I know how your brain works, Paul. You were buzzing with ideas there and kind of go, oh, this, 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 yeah, this is great. You're going to go off now and start submitting. I
1: know you are. Yes, yeah, yeah, I absolutely will. Now, the only thing which has actually come up um, is I write about a couple of topics. So I write about technology, um, football, uh, and obviously online businesses and what we're doing here. So I'm like, oh my God, can I, can I write for all three of those topics uh, for each of those publications? So that's something I probably need to narrow down and decide. I'm going to go on this platform and talk about this, and that platform and talk about that. But uh, I certainly will be uh, investigating it because, um, again, it is something which I thought, yeah, I should do that. That'll be good. Yeah. But I've actually never put the time into doing it. So, um, yeah. And a lot of these. The kick I need.
0: Yeah. But I, I mean, a lot of these ideas is, again, people get stuck on the how. And, you know, once you understand the process. It makes the goal that much more attainable and I think that's the big thing we can get from today's show with the action steps that Rosella has given us in terms of finding the right content getting the contact details and by the way for anyone as we said in the show who wants to get a hold of Rosella's guide for finding the editors you want to start contacting you can check out the show notes there's a link to her ebook there that has all the information you need so it's content.academy forward slash episode 27 for the show notes there and you'll see that link at the bottom of the show notes to get a hold of that one but I mean there was so much in there Paul I mean you know, breaking the topic down into the what the why the how you know it's a great way to keep you focused and make sure you're delivering the point that the you know when the editor-in-chief reads it and looks at the subheads that they're gonna take interest in it hopefully
1: yeah well look this is it and uh, also what has worked well for other articles that have gone before and kind of maybe taking that slant and applying it to your topic uh, or actually maybe tweaking that um, successful article uh, to fit what you want to write about i I thought that was quite good as well because um obviously it's one thing to get published but it's another thing to um be successful and have more and more people you know eventually find their way back to your social media to your online business or, or whatever it is so yeah but i mean
0: even even on that i mean rosella was saying about having your bio in the body copy of your article because she had an experience where an article she thought she'd published on another publication was then syndicated somewhere else and she didn't get the credit for it because they didn't link back to the article but also if it's something you've published on your site that you then want to get published elsewhere you can put in as featured by Or as featured on should i say which will give you a backlink to your own site but in terms of brand equity and being seen as a thought leader it's a great way of pushing your content out there showcasing what you know on a topic and it's kind of a soft sell, as as Rosella was saying. You know, you don't write something saying, come to my business and employ me for my services or my product, but you're showcasing what you know about the topic and let people make that conclusion themselves that, wow, this person really knows what they're talking about. I'm looking for someone just like that. I need to speak to them. And it's a fantastic way content marketing at its best.
1: Yeah. 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 Couldn't agree more. Um, and I mean... Do check out the show notes because there is a lot of value in them as well. Um, So they are content. Academy uh, 4 slash episode 27. Yeah, so that's it from me. That is it from me. Until next time, folks, have a great day, a great week, and we'll uh, chat to you soon. All the best. Why was there a question mark in the teleprompter?